This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about my guest, Emily Pfeiffer. She has a book that is beautifully written called The Running Body. The book tells Emily's story and the story of so many other competitive and recreational runners who struggle with overtraining and disordered eating. And then bone injuries, lots of loss, and the emotional and physical healing process that comes with that loss. Okay, so Emily writes about her experience as a college track and cross-country runner and also dives into the broader culture of elite distance running. Emily received her MFA in creative nonfiction from the University of Wyoming and is now a PhD candidate in composition and cultural rhetoric at Syracuse University. Okay, so the writing in this book is so well done. It is not what I expected at all. I don't know that I've ever actually read a book written this way. I had actually already recorded this interview, and then I noticed Allison Wade from Fast Woman was talking about the book in her newsletter as well, and I agreed with everything she had to say about the book. Honestly, loved this conversation with Emily so much, and this was one of those conversations I had 50 minutes to record. I had like a hard stop to go pick up one of my kids, and I remember thinking throughout the interview, oh my gosh. Why of all interviews do I have to have this hard stop? Because I just wanted to hear more of what she was saying. And I appreciate her work so much. So thank you, Emily, for this beautiful book. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. And friends, if you do enjoy the podcast, would you leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening? Uh, When you do leave a rating and review, you are entered to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses. And I think it's time to pick a winner for the month. We haven't done the winner for the month yet. For the month of April. Okay, this is coming from favorite podcast to run with Jack from NC. Oh, we've got some North Carolina listeners, huh? Great podcast. Lindsay is very relatable and engaging. She has some amazing guests and holds some really good conversations with them. Jack from NC. Thank you. You have won the pair of Gooder Shades, so send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com, and I will get that process rolling. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Emily. All right, today on the podcast, we have Emily Pfeiffer on the show. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks so much, Lindsay. It's so great to chat with you. I am excited to have you on the show. You have written this beautiful book. I'm going to show it for the video. (laughs) how pretty that is. Tell us about the running body. We're going to get into your story, but can you give me like just a quick reason why you wrote the book and what it's about? Yeah. Um, I would probably answer this question different on different days. Um, but I, um, you know, had a really intense experience, um, with, running in college. Um, but it's also a very common experience. You know, I, I've heard and I hope that it's getting better, but especially when I was in the NCAA, which was uh, between 2010 and 2013 or 14, um, where I was, you know, 
in the short, you know, to say it really shortly, I was just running way too much and not eating enough. You know, the very classic um, story, sometimes it's called, you know, quote, unquote, taking the shortcut, um, but basically just developed really disordered eating habit, habits, meanwhile, just really racking up the mileage and had this, you know, very like one track mind um, where all I wanted really was to be like as fast as possible in that moment. Um, and by moment, I just mean like while I was in college and probably even just that particular season, I was so focused on that. And then what happens a lot of times when people get into that experience, as we know, is that the stress fractures or other injuries start happening. And that's what happened to me. Um, I had several within the span of about a year and then basically just left um, college and collegiate running about a semester early, did not finish my eligibility, um, and was just kind of in like a dark place, especially with my body and the way that I felt about it and the way that I felt that it had, you know, failed me, basically. Um, and so for a few years, I was just kind of um, trying to heal, I would say, trying to recover, but it really did take me a while. I was living in um, New York City, interning at magazines. Um, I knew I wanted to be a writer and to write, um, but I also really did not want to write about running. I really just wanted to like get away from it. Every now and then I would like run with a friend or maybe talk about my past as a runner, but I really was not, I just wanted to let that part of me go because I felt that it was just too painful. And I really felt that, um, you know, because in a way running had let me go, had failed me, I didn't want to keep hanging on to it. It almost felt like embarrassing or shameful for me to even think about running anymore. Um, so I applied to graduate schools in creative writing um, and um, attended the University of Wyoming um, starting in about 2015. So that was just a couple of years um, outside of college really. And it took me a couple semesters and then one day I had an essay due um, and I didn't know what I was going to write about. I, um, I think I was on a plane and I just started kind of like journaling, um, but I was writing about running and it was really the first time I had allowed myself to do that. And I turned that essay in and um, my professor at the time, Andy Fitch, um, as well as some of my like workshop classmates were like, I think this is like a book. I think this is your thesis. I think this is your first book. And I remember walking home that day and just being like, both like, oh, crap. Like, I don't <laughs> want this to be a, my book. I don't want this to be the first story that I tell. Um, but also like almost relieved because I knew they were right. And I was like, you know, I do really want to explore not only why I did what I did to my body in college, but why so many other people do too. And like how the culture of competitive running as well as like the culture more broadly impacts these decisions that really young people make. And I think that's what I was starting to feel during this time was like, um, I made a mistake. I was so young. Um, and now this mistake has impacted my life. And I was just really trying to struggle and negotiate like, what does my life look like now that I'm not a runner anymore? Do am I a runner? Am I ever going to be a runner again? you know, running was like really the love of my life as so many people who I think, you know, run both competitively and re recreationally feel. So it's like, what do we do when it's taken away from us either temporarily or in the long term? So that's, you know, I think that's really what like got me to write the book was basically a deadline. But then underneath that deadline, it was like this really sure feeling that um, this is something I wanted to explore, even though there was a large part of me that also wanted to run away from the whole thing. Wow. 
That is the best description <laughs> ever. <laughs> Emily, that was so beautiful. I I have to tell you, like, I feel like this topic gets brought up a lot, right? And when I saw yeah. your email, I was like, oh, do I want to talk about di- dis- disordered eating? Like, it's so prevalent. It's, it's talked yeah. about a lot. I feel like I've been talking about it a lot on the podcast. But there was yeah. something about, like... I don't know. There was something about you that I was like, I really want to explore this with her. And mm-hmm. then when I finally actually picked up your book, I was like, oh, this is not what I expected it to be. You are such a beautiful writer. And I I hear what you're saying. I actually like resonate with that a lot because like the grieving part and then yeah. like wanting to run away from it and not want to talk mm-hmm. about it. Like I have a certain experience going on in my own life right now, like a big surgery coming up and it's almost like I'm avoiding talking about it and I'm already grieving the loss of what it is. Um, and, and so much of what I was reading in your book, I, I wish I could find it right now. Do you know what part I'm talking about when you are talking about grieving and the loss? Um, maybe the part that stands out to me, I don't, it could be the part where I'm like, I think I'm talking about Googling. Yes. Like about the grieving The internet tells you, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish I could find it because it's so beautiful. Because what, when you wrote that, what are you grieving? What are you talking about? I think at the core of it, it was so much more in a lot of ways than running for me. Um, when, you know, all those injuries happened and, and I think stress fractures can be really hard to come back from sometimes too. I think in all injuries, you know, these injuries that take a long time to heal. Um, I think I, I kind of, I think all of us have those like, you know, four to six weeks injuries or something like that. And then we're back running. And I think those are really hard too, but the really long injuries and also this sense of, I had this sense, even when I was in college, um, that, it was kind of over for me mm-hmm. that I had tried this thing and it did not work. Um, I had, you know, taken this shortcut and basically I think I write somewhere in the book, like the jig was up. Um, it, it was just over for me. Um, and I really felt that even though I think at the time I didn't have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge about my body, but it was just that I knew I needed a long break. Like I knew I had to step away from this um, situation that was becoming dangerous for me just because of the way that I was treating my body. And I think unable to heal in the context I was in. And so for me, when I'm, when I was grieving the loss, it wasn't just the loss of running, which I loved so much, the loss of competition or teammates. I think it was the loss of who I thought I was and who I really wanted to be. It was like, it was like almost an identity crisis we can think of it as. And I think that every injury honestly kind of feels like that. Every like illness, everything that kind of knocks us down for me, I shouldn't speak too generally. Just for me, I feel like I can easily have these like mini identity crises but I think this one felt so big because I had just I I was a runner you know that's how I saw myself and I no longer was and then I was like well then who am I because I have no idea how to kind of like make sense of life without running which is I mean it sounds so dramatic but I feel like people really you know get it who get it oh totally a hundred percent. I was looking down because I was looking for that exact page because I was like, I want to quote mm-hmm. that. Why did I, I not know, I wish I... it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know it either. I feel like it's a section I remember working on and I I know where it is in yes, general, but it would take totally. <laughs> um, I think that that's just so, so important to talk about, though, because um, we're all grieving something. 
pretty mm-hmm, much it mm-hmm. every part of our lives and yeah. every part of our mm-hmm. life there's something we're grieving mm-hmm. the loss of an animal a parent a friend running you know like a career whatever it is um mm-hmm. now the book is called the running body and that you find out quickly means something different than what you might think it means can you tell us what the running body is in your mind yeah, um, I I think it kind of came later in the writing process where I started using that term, the running body. But then once I did, it felt really true to my experience of I had this image in my mind of what the running body or what a running body would look like, what it was supposed to look like. And as I write about in the book, that was informed by um, books like Once a Runner was huge for me, um, which, you know, is still a book that I love. So I'm really not like totally hating on that book it's just that it did inform you know my sense it was also informed by the professional runners I saw you know whose bodies I was totally taking out of context I didn't understand the years of you know slow work that might have happened and also just the genetic component too of having that very typical standard um body that looks like what we would say, oh, there's a a running body, Um, you know, magazines, all of these things that had contributed to what I thought I was supposed to look like. And so when I began this process of um, beginning to run a lot, a lot more and starting to eat a lot less, it was this image in my head that kind of drove me and that when I would become very fixated on the image, it was sort of like I was working towards this specific running body that I had in my mind. And so it's something that in the book, I began kind of still holding up to this almost like on a pedestal. But then what's really important, I think, for all of us who are in this process of recovering is that by the end, we've dismantled that image of the running body. Um, at least the, the, the way that image has a hold on us, I think is really important to kind of work through. When you like first started noticing that this was, um, you had this like mentality, like I ha- I have to be smaller mm-hmm. to run faster. And also did it become a, how I look as well, because you have to look a certain way to run a certain way. Yeah, I think that was a huge part of it. I think in high school, I never quite put that together. And then in college, it really became um, almost impossible for me to ignore um, that I felt that by like by the most part, or for the most part, that most of the runners winning or at the top or running the times that I wanted to looked differently than me. Um, and so it it was about running faster. But to me, running faster and looking a certain way just became so entangled that I just, yeah, became super wrapped up in the way my body looked, even though that wasn't supposed to be the main driver, if that makes sense. What do you think, I mean, this is a really broad question. What do you think needs to happen in high school programs and college programs to support women and men who are struggling with this? Mm-hmm. I think one of the conversations that really gives me hope that I'm starting to hear a lot right now that I don't ever remember hearing when I was in um, high school or college is just this conversation about letting especially young girls go through puberty and making sure that they are able to do that in a healthy 
um, supported way in a way that doesn't trigger these kinds of um, mentalities or questions or ideas that kind of honors the process of um, the way that sometimes the process of puberty can slow us down. Um, that being said, that wasn't a huge part of my story. I did go through puberty in high school. I had a healthy relationship with my body and with food in high school. But, you know, I just think for broadly, I really appreciate that conversation because of the way it honors the sort of long-term slow process of not just like coming into our bodies, um, no matter um, how we're competing, what kind of body we're competing in, but also just the um, long-term process of getting better, of seeing progress that I think that's prevalent at like all different levels of running too, but especially in college, there's, I I felt that there was this like urgency to be the best that I could while I was in college. And so I think one of the main things that I love about that conversation and conversations related to that is just thinking about college and high school as just kind of steps along a lifelong journey of running, whether that's elite running, competitive running, but just thinking of each of those as, you know, just different steps along the path rather than, um, the end of the path or not maybe not the end of the path but like the most important urgent step right now we have to be super fast we have to get the most out of our athletes that was definitely the mentality at my university and um I kind of got wrapped up into it not just totally putting the blame blame on um you know my college team or anything like that because I I think in the book and in my life I find it really useful to take responsibility for the ways that I you know played a part in this and got wrapped up in the mentality but I just think it's so all about like the messages that we we talk about with our young athletes and just trying to really instill a long-term mentality rather than a short term we have to be as fast as possible this season or you know we're not valued that's a really intriguing point you bring up about taking some responsibility mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like I feel like you know in 2023 like therapy is the way we're unpacking so much from our childhood and all the things. Yes. Whew, it is a lot. And I've been thinking about that a lot with like some of the things I do in life and like how much of that is because of different things that happened when I was young. And um, then how much of it as an adult do I need to just take responsibility and move on. I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, it's kind of a touchy thing to talk about too, because of course we want these teachers and mentors and coaches and parents and anybody that's older than you, that's mentoring you and leading you to do it the right way. And I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. using quotations because like, you know, what is the right way? It's not shaming people for their bodies. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, right. Right. But yeah, there's kind of like a fine balance there of like it's okay to be sad and angry and like mm-hmm. also come to understand why some of these things happen because of x y and z that some somebody else did but what does that mean for you to take responsibility you are so young still I'm I'm ram- yes. that was a very rambly question mm-hmm. but I just had so many thoughts and feelings as I was processing that no I I paused because it's so important it was so important to my healing process but I don't think it would I don't know if I would have ever come to that sort of conclusion for myself of I think I need to think about what was my responsibility here or what agency did I have what were the decisions I made 
that became important as I was writing the book, which was a, which wasn't just, it became not just writing the book, but it also became like, um, kind of a healing part of my like longer or larger healing process too. But I think I just realized that for myself, that if I was able to find the parts of my story that, you know, I did not only that not only did I like make these decisions myself in a way, but that I found joy in or that I enjoy that I enjoyed that I found something in. And I think for me, I just needed to really think about why did I actually, when I look back, I really enjoyed the process of basically disciplining my body to injury, Mm. Um, robbing it of the nutrients that it needed, clearly running way too much. Um, What are the parts of that process that I, I don't know, yeah, found enjoyment in, found something in. And for me, I think I don't I don't even know how to talk about this either, because I think it is so touchy. And I think it is so it's so individual, Mm -hmm. I think, like Mm -hmm. with every different experience, like, do you need to take responsibility? Is there did you have agency? What responsibility, you know, might you take? How that how might that help you? But for me, I think just for whatever, for some reason, it really helped me heal. And it and it helped me um, realize, I think that like, I made decisions at that point in my life that were were really impacted by people who had power over me, structures that had power over me, ideologies that had power over me, but that in the end, I also had some agency, which means I still have agency to heal and to process and to kind of investigate why I made those decisions so I can make better decisions um, about my body in the future. So I don't know. I really love that question and I love what you're bringing up. Um, And I do just think it's so complicated thinking about, yeah, where is the responsibility that we take as individuals? And then how do we also at the same time hold these broader systems of power, such as coaches or the the institution of the NCAA, whatever it is, um, accountable to. So that was something that was really hard for me in the book and it's still kind of hard for me to distangle, but ultimately really useful to think through. All right, let me tell you about Smart Eats Iron Lift, an excellent source of iron highly absorbed and easily digested. 25 vitamins and minerals, 15 grams of protein. And here's the thing, women runners especially are prone to low iron. You've heard me talk about it on this podcast quite a bit. And you can use Iron Lift to restore your iron levels. Here's the thing, this is a powder and you drink it for boosting iron levels. It tastes great. It is a cookies and cream flavor and it is easily digested. It has a versatile use. You can put it in drinks, smoothies, cereal, yogurt, and more. It's designed to overcome the bad experience and side effects of other iron supplements. Made for women runners by providing bioavailable iron and an anti-inflammatory blend. It also provides protein, prebiotic fiber, and 25 essential vitamins and minerals. I know a lot of people have issues with iron supplements upsetting their stomach, and that is one of the reasons the founders of this awesome product created it. They made this to be delicious and digestible. So go to smarteatspantry.com and use the code RUNNER to save 25% off your order. That's smarteatspantry.com and the code RUNNER for 25% off your order. All right, back to the show. 
as you thought through like, why was I finding joy in this? I really like liked that process. It's almost like maybe the reward or like the feeling of like Mm -hmm. satisfaction when you're like, oh, I'm down two more pounds or whatever it is. Have you found that you need a replacement or something else that gives you a satisfaction like that? That's, that's also a really interesting question. I think there is a part of me that will always struggle with a kind of, I guess, intensity, <laughs> let's say, a kind of wanting that it's, it's like a mindset thing. I, I don't know if it's, I think it's a, you know, nature and nurture kind of combined, but it's just this, you know, whatever I do, I want to be my best at it. I want to go all in, you know, I want to, you know, full send everything that I'm doing. I still have that um, potential for intensity and overworking, um, not, you know, kind of pushing my feelings or my body to the side while I go after something like, I definitely still have that in me. But I think over the years, and I'm 31 now. So it's like, it's been a good bit. And I think I've just I don't know, with life experience, with time, with, um, I guess, work, you know, you just kind of get to this place where, at least for myself, I'm like kind of able to check that part of myself a little bit more, keep it in check. And so um, as I've started running a little bit again, definitely less than I did in college, as I've, um, you know, kind of found my way back to movement and a love for movement, Um, I still have to keep it in check, but it would also be a lie to say that I didn't love, you know, going out there and working really hard at whatever I'm doing. So it's just something that I'm careful about. I think because for me, I did have that really intense experience. I think for a lot of people who, um, maybe in college or in their lives, um, or in their running more generally don't kind of like go to more of like a bottom place. Um, it might be harder, but I think for me, because I, I know what a stress fracture feels like now. I know what working, I know what that looks like and what that feels like in my body. I almost do feel like my body has this kind of internal system that seems to hold me back. And it's almost frustrating because it's like there's a part of me that wants to push, push, push always through whatever I'm doing. But I feel like there's something that stops me now. And I think that could just be because of the pain that I did put my body in. And it almost seems like... um, it it keeps me in check as much as I keep myself in check. Mm. What do you think would have been helpful for you in college? Something I'm jealous of, and I know this is not a 100% solution because I know that um, women coaches can have their own issues, but I, um, and I, I actually had great relationships with my coaches too, but I just like really would have loved to have a woman as my coach in college. I don't know if that would have solved anything or everything. I just think about that a lot. And I am so excited when I see um, these women coaches in the NCAA, you know, doing, you know, just like when they talk about their work and um, their focuses with their athletes, I'm like, wow, that just sounds so different and just such a different like approach than um, what I think a lot of um, male coaches seem to have, at least in my experience in, in college running. Um, and so that's something that I totally like, I celebrate and is just like, every time I see a a female coach, I'm, you know, it just really makes me feel, um, like that is not, you know, a solution, but just potentially one path forward. I think that would have been really interesting for me and potentially helpful. But I also think probably just 
and this wasn't a really a thing at the time, but just having more honest conversations about what everyone on my team was kind of thinking and doing, or what a lot of people were thinking and doing, what a lot of people um, in our conference, um, see, what seemed to be going on on these other teams. I think just it was so hush-hush mm. when I was in college. And like, you know, kind of like what you were speaking to earlier, like it's not hush-hush anymore. People talk about this a lot. People are really starting to share their experiences. Um, it's So it's totally, it's totally different. But I think just having more conversations and um, I think I really needed someone to kind of call me out in a really, in a way that I couldn't ignore. Um, kind of as I talk about a little, or I write about in the book, um, there were definitely people in my life who knew what was happening and who were kind of saying things to me uh, that let me know they knew I was, knew what was happening and they were doing their best. You know, they just didn't really have the tools. Um, and these were like teammates, you know, just, we didn't really have the tools to help each other. But um, I think that there, pro- there are people who, um, could have stepped in in a more like direct way that would have let me know like what you're doing you know not only is it not necessary it's you know not going to have good results in the end you know it's it's probably you know it might be this season but then it's probably over so yeah I think just more honest conversation and more um more intervention I think and I'm not necessarily saying like I needed to go to the hospital um, because that just wasn't where I was at. Um, but I think that I needed someone to be like, hey, you you need to stop this. Um, and, and here's why. Not saying I would have listened to them instantly, but I just think it could have made a difference in the end. Yeah, that's a tough place to be in because um, especially as we were talking about being a young, at a young age, um, to be that friend that kind of like shakes you and says like, I won't, I won't let you do this to yourself anymore. Um, because that can damage your friendship and you could lose fr- a, a friend over that, you know, and maybe a couple years down the road, you might come to and say, oh, my friend loved me so much. They wanted to help me. But when you are kind of like laser focused on this thing and you don't want anything to pull you away from it, it can be really hard to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of my friends, as we've teammates, you know, we've discussed um, this topic, we started talking about it, I would say a few years ago, but I I especially think that my book kind of reopened almost like this can of worms for a lot of us that are still close. And we were all kind of like keying off of each other Mm. and inspiring each other Mm. to make these, um, harmful decisions. And so, and I, I guess I shouldn't say all, but you know, some of us were, and I think, um, to, to step in, when you're in that mindset of like, I kind of want to do what she's doing though, or I kind of want to be where she's at. I think I should be doing that. Um, it just becomes a really dangerous cycle and really hard, I think, for someone to, you know, sort of step in at that point, because we're all, we were, so many of us were in that mindset that it was like, even if we saw that someone on a different team, someone on our team was maybe, t- you know, making these decisions that were going to be very harmful there was always a part of me at least that was like, but maybe I should be doing that. Mm. You know, maybe I shouldn't be worried for her. Maybe I should be trying to emulate her. So it was just when, when I was in the NCAA, that was like the feeling that I got. I really hope it's not like that anymore, but it just felt like a very contagious place um, for these kinds of eating eating disorders, disordered eating, overtraining. Um, It felt 
I don't know. It felt like it was just in the water that we were all swimming in. If I had a young daughter going to run in college, I would highly encourage her to go to a program that had a woman coach. I yeah. I really would. And it's Same. not to say there are mm-hmm. not stand-up awesome male coaches out there. Yeah. I know there's many of you and some of you that might be listening. Um, there's something about knowing the experience of what you endure in the female body and specifically in those very formative years that a male coach will just never inherently know. Like they just, they just, you're, you're not a female. Like you have, you're, you don't experience a monthly cycle. You don't experience right. loss of period if, if you, you're pushing too hard. And um, right. I mean, I even think about that you know, when I talk to my husband and try to relate to him on like my, how my hormones make me feel every month, you know, mm-hmm. he'll just never know. He just doesn't understand. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that being said, I, I think that I hope that a lot of programs that do have male head coaches who, like we've both said, like can be wonderful people and coaches mm-hmm. have a woman who can be a resource and a tool for them to make sure that they're having smart conversations with the women on their team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I have to admit, I have not read Lauren Fleshman's book yet, um, but I've listened to a lot of interviews with her. And I, I something that it seems like I think she talks about in that book from what I've gleaned is just having coaches, whether they're women or men coaches, like not treating all athletes as if they have the same body. Mm-hmm. And that their their bodies are going are meant to or could or should look the same and operate the same. And I do think that um, I agree that I think that that having a a female coach, I just imagine um, that they are more likely to step in um, when that when they see their female athletes. Or you know, something I write about in the book is there were people who were asking me if I get my period regularly. And I was lying. Um, So I think that's important to say too, you know, I was lying, but I also imagine, and I I hope I, you know, I I imagine that there definitely, that this happens. Like, I think that um, there are a lot of people who could have looked at me and said, "Mm, are you really? Like, I, I, you know, (laughs) like not, I don't know how they would get proof or something, but like, I, I think that it was, pretty clear that um, I was unhealthy because it was not the body that I came, you know, this was not the body that I was normally running inside. This was not the way that my body looked all the way through high school. And at the very beginning of college, like there was clearly this really dramatic change. And I think most of us know if that happens um, to a young girl athlete, it most likely means that she has lost her period you know, and I don't know if that was as common knowledge back when I was in college, but now um, I think most people would kind of call someone who was looking like me kind of, kind of out for probably lying or at least fibbing a little bit. Do you think it would have changed or helped you if um, you had a coach or someone like look you in the eye and be like, you're not getting on the line until you're healthy? I mean, I know there's some coaches out there that do that or that will call other coaches out if they see one of their kids that like you can tell that they're not healthy. Like what would you, what would you have done if you would have had a coach be like, 
I'm not putting you in. You can't run if you aren't healthy. It's so, it's almost, it's almost frustrating to think about because I was so opposite of my experience. Mm. Like we were like celebrated um, for looking, you know, quote unquote fit was sort of like the, the terminology at the time. It was just like, you look so fit, Mm. you know, you must be ready to go. Um, I write about in the book, my coach talking about what he called the eyeball test of when you could look at a team and tell that they were in, you know, they were fit enough or they were, you know, going to you know, do something at regionals or nationals. Um, and so it was just so different than my experience. It's almost hard for me mm. to even imagine that. But um, I I totally think, I don't think, you know, that doesn't solve, and I know that you're not saying this either, like it obviously wouldn't solve everything, um, but it would, it would, you know, like I wanted to compete. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have put the way that my body looked ahead of that. You know, I think I, I think I would have taken that seriously and I would have been really heartbroken and really upset Mm -hmm. if someone told me that I couldn't race. So I think that it, it obviously, you know, it definitely could not have hurt. And it's really interesting, you know, to even think about another coach from another team saying, Hey, your athletes don't look healthy, something like that. It, I mean, to me, you know, just getting any, all of this more out in the open just seems like at least part of the solution. So totally, I think um, that would have been a great thing if someone would have said, Hey, like we know that you're running fast right now, but it's, but you're not healthy enough to be out there. What is your message to a young woman who is in the position you were in 10 years ago, 12 years ago? This is also hard because, um, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of things that I could have told myself, um, back then because I was, you know, I think these kinds of, um, more direct things of like, you can't race, or we're going to take you to, um, to see a a therapist or a doctor, those probably would have been better for me because there's just not a lot of like, of things I could have told myself. Mm -hmm. I've even thought about like, um, if I would have came across my own book when I was, and I was, you know, let's say I was like in college or something, um, or uh, someone in my similar position, I probably would have, you know, read the back or something and thought like, oh, she was just unlucky. It's going to work for me, you know, something like that. So it's just really complicated. And, um, but, you know, all of that aside, I just think like something that sort of sounds like cliche or cheesy, but like it, you are whole and like you can just find value and love and trust in yourself and your body right at this very moment. And it's not about how fast you run your next race. Um, I know that that like, you know, it would not have solved everything for me, but I think a big part of my mindset was that um, the faster I was, the more valuable I was, not just as like a teammate or a runner, but like as a person. And I think just, um, I don't know, reassuring people of something that I think we all know inside of us, but just helping to kind of bring that back to the surface of, you know, you don't, you don't have to do this. I think that's something that could have been interesting to hear too. This episode of the podcast is supported by athletic greens. And I got to tell you, I am hooked on athletic greens. I have been hearing about AG one forever. That is the athletic greens product that is 
filled with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced nutrients in one convenient daily serving. You just put one scoop in, shake it up with eight ounces of water, start your day with it, get your energy going, and it will have you feeling balanced and supported both your immune system, your digestive system. It has prebiotics, probiotics to help with your gut health. And it also provides metabolism, energy, and stress support. I wake up in the morning, I go straight to my cabinet to get my athletic greens, start my day like that. I love starting the day with a healthy habit, putting this nutrient-dense product into my body. I'm telling you, you gotta try it. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee. And when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, you will get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five travel packs. You're gonna want those travel packs. It helps because you feel like, oh, I'm starting the day the same way I do at home, even when I'm on the go. And plus, when you're traveling, you might not get the nutrient-dense meals that you get at home, so it's that extra security blanket there as well. Like, you know you're getting those 75 vitamins and minerals in when you take your AG1 in the morning. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and you will get that free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 plus five travel packs of AG1. All right, friends, back to the show. You know, I think one of the most important pieces of this conversation could be, you know, I, I think of this through the lens of a parent because I am a parent. Um, how can we support our kids, both girls and boys, to view themselves as whole, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. without the accolades, without the fast times, without the, you know, like wins on the soccer field, whatever that thing is for that kid. Um, and we haven't talked about your parents at all. And I know I, I love in the book, I love what you said in the acknowledgements when you said, thank you to your mom. And you said she was always out for a run and you wanted to see where she was going. <laughs> Cause as a mom who runs, I think like, oh my gosh, I don't ever think about that when, when my kids get to the age that they just like go for a run for exercise or mental health or whatever that they think, oh, this was what my mom was doing all those years. Yeah, I think she definitely planted that seed in my head of like even, yeah, not even just like geographically where she was going, but was just like what was happening, you know, because I think when we're young, we see our parents in such a like, we see them as our parents only. I think one of the gifts of adulthood is like seeing your parents as whole humans and maybe not adulthood, maybe it starts, hopefully it starts a little sooner than that. But, you know, just really starting to realize um how influential that was for me and just thinking about like less about running um you know races although she was training for races but just thinking about like what was you know what was going on in her mind what was she doing when she wasn't around us you know taking care of us what was she up to so I do think that was something that really um intrigued me about running and still does it's just like you can just I mean, I know that it's kind of a cliche conversation at this point. That's also not true of just like, you can grab your shoes and that's all you need and you just go out the door. It's obviously a lot more than that. But I do love that element of running where, um, or walking or just doing anything, honestly, outside, I think is the important part for me of just like, um, kind of, I don't know, detaching from a, a lot of other things and just kind of being out in the, just being out on, you know, on your own or with friends in the world and um 
that's something that's always drew me to running. So something I always come back to too, it's like I had these really hard experiences, but I still, and I think a lot of people feel this way, even who have been burned by running, we keep coming back to it because um, it's such a beautiful experience in so many ways and really like teaches us about ourselves and about the land that we're running on and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw that you gave acknowledgement to the land that you run on. Can you share that? Yeah, um, I I think it's something I started thinking a lot more about. And I I write a little bit about this in the book. Like um, I wasn't, it wasn't something I thought about growing up necessarily that I was running on native land, um, on ancestral land that, you know, that I was occupying. Um, And, but when I moved out to Wyoming, the land here is um, much, the terrain here is much harsher to run on. We're really high elevation. The weather is really harsh. Um, and there was something in it, but it's also extremely beautiful. And there was something about being here so far from where I grew up that really showed me or kind of helped me um, become conscious of the way that my body wasn't necessarily supposed to be on this land and that this land historically belonged to other peoples who were pushed out. Um, And so just thinking about um, the indigenous communities that have occupied the land that I run on um, is really interesting for me. And there's um, a podcast called Grounded. um, And I think that the host's name is, um, yes, Danae Dorame. Um, And it's a really um, interesting podcast, um, running related podcast where she interviews runners and they talk about Um, these kinds of things about like the land that we run on and our relationships to land. And she interviews a lot of um, native runners um, as well as um, other, you know, settler or white um, other runners of color who um, just kind of think about this and are like invited to think about the land that we run on. So I think that's like, for me, sometimes even when I'm out now, sometimes it's a way to kind of get out of like my own head. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about like the land that my, my feet are like touching touching on so I don't know I'm just interested in like um thinking about running in different ways than I used to and I think thinking about the histories of the land that I run on has been like a vehicle for that oh that's so beautiful grounded I love that that's such a perfect name for that podcast and also um such a perfect word to think about running and and how it it does ground us in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful Mm -hmm. so I kind of like uh, rambled my question and made it two questions in one. So I want to circle back to like, if you had any thoughts on parents and how we can make sure we are nurturing our kids to believe in that piece that they are whole without the accolades. Hmm. I, this question makes me think of a conversation that, um, my partner and I just had with a couple of our friends who have a daughter who's, I think she's five or six and she's playing soccer. And I forget all the details of her experience, but um, she, I think she had like a game where she didn't play well or something like that. And she, I, I think she was like checking in with her dad to make sure that like he still loved her mm. um, and that she was still, you know, a good soccer player, like she was reaching out for, I forget the particulars, but she was reaching out for confirmation and affirmation. And, um, she loves soccer, they were saying, but she also gets, she's really hard on herself, Mm. you know, if she doesn't have a good game. 
and I like started tearing up when they were telling us when I first heard about this because I was like, oh, she's, you know, she's probably going to be a great soccer player, but she's also going to have a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I related a lot to um, that sort of seemingly innate just drive that was both driving her to be, you know, a really good soccer player at five years old, but also like being really hard on herself and kind of looking to um, soccer for validation. And, um, you know, these are great, our friends are great parents and we um, we're just kind of like talking with them about it and just kind of thinking through like these, this kind of question of like, how do, how do, um, how does she, you know, still love soccer and how is she nurtured in the sport, but how also, you know, does she feel and understand and know that a bad soccer game does not mean, you know, a bad, she's not a bad person. So I think about this question a lot just because of that story. And I think it's so complicated. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it is just something about the process, right? It's like finding, and I think I took, it took me years to actually find, you know, joy in the process. Like I know we're supposed to. So I think I like probably would have told you, five or 10 years ago, oh, I like love the process of things that I'm working on. But I think it took me a long time because I just wasn't, um, I wasn't raised in a culture that really taught me to love the process. It was really about the outcome. And I loved the outcome. I loved racing. I loved to see how fast I could go. Absolutely loved it. So I think that just, it has to be something about just like the joy we find in the process. Mm. Um, and just, um, I don't know, like the, the feeling of love for ourselves that we have and the feeling of wholeness that we have when we are, you know, working towards something. Um, and that, you know, just trying, yeah, trying to divorce it from the outcome a little bit, but it's hard because we just don't live in a culture that we do live in a culture that still, um, you know, prizes the outcome over the process. Um, you know, as much as people, I guess, sometimes say or think differently, I still think that, you know, that's sort of the end goal in sports and a lot of different areas of life. So I think it's really challenging, but I feel like anyone thinking about that question is probably doing like a really good job. Hmm. I love that answer. And I actually took, um, my husband took this video of my son running the other day and I loved what he said on the video. He was like, don't look at anybody else, just like go. And I think that's so perfect. Like not just your competition. Don't look at the stands. Don't look at me. Work hard, believe in yourself and, and have fun while you do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think that that's so important that the process, I love that you brought that up. I wish we had so much more time because this is like, (laughs) seriously, I wish every interview was this, was this much of a flow. Like, I feel like our conversation is very much organic and just Mm -hmm. like what comes to mind as we're talking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's why I was like, I definitely didn't, I wouldn't want to be on a lot of podcasts because I do, I do get nervous sometimes around like some people, you know, but I was like, I feel like, um, the way that you interview and like the conversations, I was like, it's just a conversation. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Emily, this has been so wonderful and you have been, this has been a gift. I'm so glad that we did this interview. What is something professionally or personally you would like to do that you have not done yet? I think similar to what I was just talking about with the process, um, because I was like, I know that Lindsay's going to ask me this, but it's really hard, um, you know, because I just don't really, I don't know, because I think I've been putting less kind of stock in the sort of like external things. 
So rather than like saying, oh, I'm really proud of this book, you know, which of course I am, I think I'm just really proud of like that I stuck with the process of writing this book and like getting it out into the world. So I think that's something I'm really proud of, sort of aside from the book itself. Love that. What is the best, most recent book you've read? This is also hard for me, um, but I was thinking of um, this memoir I recently read called Hill Women by Cassie Chambers. And it's it's another interest of mine because um, my family is from um, the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia. And um, Chambers is really looking at um, the generation of generations of women that she came from. And she's also grappling with um, being far from home and um, like perceptions of uh, rural mountain people and kind of like um, the ramifications of those perceptions. So it's um, yeah, it was a really interesting book for me. And I recommend it to people who are like interested in those kinds of things. Um, I'm always wondering when we drive through West Virginia to go home to Indiana, I'm like, who lives here? Who lives in West Virginia? Yeah. What town are you from? Um, so I grew up in a small town called Winfield, okay. which is kind of close to Charleston and Huntington. So I think you probably drive somewhere ish close, but my, um, my dad's side of the family is from more in the mountains, um, in Tucker County and Preston County. Um, and those are much more rural, but really beautiful, um, places. So I kind of feel connections to both of those places, but then again, I'm like really far from home. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like a tension in my life that I just have to live with. <laughs> okay. Last two questions. Who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? When I think of this question, I just have to say um, my maternal grandmother who died when I was, I think, um, 11. And she was just such an awesome, like fabulous woman. And I would just love to catch, catch up with her. I'm sure she would be so happy to hear that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the older I get, the more I think about like my grandkids and my great grandkids yes. and like, what will mm-hmm. they remember of me? And, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. What's your last message to leave with the audience? I think our conversation about wholeness has really stuck with me. So that seems really important. Just kind of thinking of yourself and loving yourself as, you know, who you are right now. Um, But then also, I think, um, trusting yourself. I think trust is so important. And I did not trust myself in college when all of this, when I was making these decisions, when all of this was happening to me. Um, So, yeah, I would just encourage people to trust themselves. And it's something that I work on every day, too. So thank you, Emily. All right, everybody. So go pick up Emily's book, The Running Body by Emily Pfeiffer. You can find Emily on Instagram. She's Emily D. Pfeiffer. That's P-I-F-E-R on Instagram. You can find me. I'm lindsayhine626 on Instagram, at lindsayhine on Twitter. And we'd love to have you join our Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate you all. You can learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. All right. Have a really great rest of your week and we'll see you next time on All Have Another.